Hey everybody, awesome episode of the morning show today. We are without Nick because Nick is at the courthouse in New York City with Sam Bankman-Fried and Caroline Ellison. He's in the courtroom watching all the stuff go down. So we're we're doing the show without him, but we talk about a lot of really juicy stuff. We talk about the FTX trial, obviously. We talk about Magic Eden launching a new initiative, which is a courtyard-style physical Pokemon card backed by an NFT uh, initiative. So we talk about whether that will be successful. Then we're actually joined by Nick. Noah, who is the new mayor of Gutter City, he's acquired Gutter Cat Gang. So we talked to him about his visions for Gutter Cat Gang as an organization, how he views the NFTs, how he views the business, and everything in between. It's a really good conversation. Hope you enjoy it, and hope you enjoy the show. Bad boys and girls in New York City today, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Thursday, October 12th. Today we're going to discuss the latest developments in the Caroline or the FTX Sam Bankman Freed trial and Caroline Ellison's second day of testimonies. We're also going to talk about Magic Eden, the popular NFT platform, NFT, um, yeah. Was marketplace, NFT marketplace. It's early in the morning, ladies and gentlemen. I've been up for a few hours at this point. Um, they're venturing into physical collectibles, and we're also going to talk about other sides, Legend of Mara, the slow start associated with it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the reason that I've been up for a few hours is because the original plan was for me to take my e-bike over to the federal courthouse in New York City where Sam Bankman fried and Caroline Ellison are going to be hanging out in a courtroom today. Uh, but I actually didn't have to go because Nick is there and they let him in earlier than expected. So Nick is physically in a courtroom right now that uh, Sam Bagman Freed and Caroline Ellison will be at later. I wouldn't be surprised if Coffee Zealous examination today, too. He's in for the best possible day. He's going to get the banger content today. I'm hyped for today because yesterday there were some bombshells dropped. Some like I was glued to the news stuff yesterday, reading everything that was dropping at noon and five because that's the only time they let you out. And it's all handwritten notes and like verbiage being shared. The cross examination today is going to have some of the wildest stuff, I think, because now you're going to have the prosecutors and the defendants both trying to push their line of questions, obviously, whereas yesterday was purely just a testimony from Ellison sharing general concepts. So when SBF's team cross-examines Caroline Ellison today, we're going to get some some absolute haymakers, I think. Yeah, I can well, see why it'd be okay. difficult. I was gonna say I can see why it'd be difficult to find people for the jury because you got on one hand people like Easy who are following this like it's you know Game of Thrones. There every episode knows exactly what happened, and then what's happening in real life? You see, have jurors actually falling asleep. I, I, I like I couldn't believe there are people falling asleep in the jury. So it just goes to show how long these days are, how much information is being thrown at these people, and also that there are twelve people on the jury who actually don't probably care about what's happening in crypto and they are the right people to uh, make judgment here if they're falling asleep and find crypto boring so we should be glad easy is not on the jury well it's been pretty interesting so far regardless um i mean nick will not be able to make video content while in the courtroom i believe they they take your phone away i think it's or like all electronics everything like they go through some extensive stuff to make sure that nothing slips through the crack that even like voice recorders 
are not allowed. The only thing they let in is pen and paper. Well, this is like a historic. I'm pretty jealous of Nick in the sense that I would love to be there just for like the life experience and being in like a, a I've never been in a courtroom, I don't think, for any like sort of trial situation. And to be in a courtroom for a historic fraud case, like a Bernie Madoff level fraud case with a like, you know, uh, an iconic for the wrong reasons person like Sam Bankman Fried in there. It just seems really interesting. I think he's only going to be in there today. He called me right before he was going in. He said, don't come. They're letting us in now. And then he was like, I, I'm going to do this today, but I'm not going to just be able to do this every day. Like, it's not his job to just spend a half a day in a courtroom every single day. Um, but it will be interesting. And I, I think that we will get uh, some interesting perspective and content out of it. So it'll be a lot of, uh, a lot of fun to cover it after the fact. I'm sure that you're going to see some of the other names that have been covering the case on crypto Twitter in there also. CoffeeZilla made a little video. If you go to CoffeeZilla's Twitter page, in the exact spot that me and Nick made our video, I think like 10 minutes after, we were right, we were literally right here, and we drilled the take that you all saw in the video like 15 times. We were having trouble, you know, it, like it's hard to like memorize that language every time, and I was working with Nick to make sure that he said the beginning the way Anderson Cooper or Tucker Carlson would say it. You know, it's like, um, you may recognize this path. This is the very path that Caroline Ellison walked on this morning as she was escorted into this courthouse. Well, yeah, anyway, sorry. We don't have to drill the whole thing right here, but that, that's a, a peek into us uh, you know, working on it yesterday. Um, anyway. It's a banger, dude. I got to say, though, the courtroom stuff is intense. I took like a law class in college, and they, one of the things was to go to a courtroom. And we had some like the trial I sat in on was for like a hit and run where there was a, a vehicular homicide involved. Damn. And the day I sat in was for the sentencing. And it was like the most intense moment that I've ever been involved in. Because like you really see the emotion from the family, from the people involved, from the person who's getting sentenced. And this is like, I think you're going to see some, some crazy emotion today just off of all of it, even on the cross-examination. Because you're going to have a strong, strong pushback from the defense about like, how this wasn't a crime. And I think honestly, they're going to try to, they're going to try to paint Carolina as like the bad guy and the brains behind Alameda. Honestly, like that's where I'm leaning where she's pushed back against SBF as being like told me to do everything. But because she was the CEO, I genuinely think they're going to try to make a case that it was Caroline's call to prop Alameda up, not SBF's. Ain't nobody but going to believe that a uh, bunny's got his hand raised bunny. What's going on? I hope when the, when the cross-examination of Caroline happens, I hope they ask about Steven, dude. I'm dying to know what happened with this guy, Steven. Caroline's to-do list got published, right? And there was two things that stuck out to me on the list. It was one, it was short ApeCoin before the land drop. And two was fire Steven this week, right? So I'm wondering, would, would this guy not do the fraud? So they had to axe? I don't know, you know? Well, the, the short ApeCoin thing is honestly maybe the funniest. Like the fact that that was on the CEO of Alameda Research, who's now testifying against Sam Bagman Fried, it's on her to do list to short ApeCoin is bored. What liquidated? What got liquidated too on the day that that file was done? Because after the drop, it ended up still pumping a little bit. It hit its all time high. So Alameda would have been deeply in the red on that short. You basically had to short like a week or two after where like the actual downside risk was, which I think is just crazy. Like it just shows that they were swinging at everything. Well, yeah, I mean, like sh it's just so funny, like short ape coin. That's wicked funny to me. Uh, where, where is it on there? Things, things this is, this is SBF's things. Sam's freaking out about list. Uh, 
it's not the uh Caroline. Well, there was another list. one though, and it's like it was like halfway down. You also had like a bunch of mentions of tokens and loans that they had outstanding. A deal that they closed for twenty million. It was like closed deal for twenty million. Very next line was fire Steven at the end of the week. <laughs> it was just like the most random thing. And then like after that, it was like get coffee. Then it was like uh, finalized deal for tokens of X Y Z. They were involved in looks token too, which was a surprise to me. Um, that was on there. They were like solidified deal for looks and a couple others of like these third-party DeFi apps. So that was, dude, it was looking at that was like one of the funniest things because it just shows how all over the place they were and just like keeping it recorded in like a phone notes tab. And it doesn't also make you feel like anyone could have done that job. I think my own personal to-do list of like what I would do on a Sunday has more detail on it than her like running of a fund. I just love the way that she just like scribbled like, raised from MBS, just like, which is a, a reference to the, um, to the Saudi king. It's just like something on the to-do list, you know? So it, 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 like the more you go into it and the more you see the detail behind it, it just like, it was such a, it's such a hack job, the whole thing on both sides. Well, and I love Caroline's reference to, um, Sam's hair when she was talking about Sam's hair and the fact that he went out of his way to make it look like crazy and curly and just all over the place. So he'd come across as this like mad crypto genius when really he was just putting extra gel and volume inside. That was it. <laughs> Nothing well, more remember, to it. Do you remember Caroline's interview a while back in which she said, I just use basic math to figure this out. Like I don't even use my math degree. When she said that, I was like, oh, we're fucked. Like <laughs> we are really in danger. Like you are trading billions of dollars, supposedly supposed to be using like quants, algos and more. To help you get an edge and you're like i just use basic math what could possibly go wrong i'm like oh man you weren't even carrying the ones properly because you guys were 16 billion dollars in the hole like this is a disaster i mean pretty Can i say one thing <laughs> i i hate how much i'm eating this up dude when this trial started i'm like oh screw this like i'm not gonna pay attention i'm gonna stay focused this is so juicy <laughs> like i'm loving it i'm not gonna lie it's great content uh, over unders yesterday on the show guys that was crazy i don't know who was coming out with five years one of you one of you was saying five years i do not believe me. there is a world in which he gets five years when he's at 115 and i'm and i'm surprised no one on the other side has immunity for this deal like everybody's pointing for him to sink and so i don't like i'm gonna put my 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 number in and i think he's probably gonna get like 17 years that, that, like, that, that was what the judge will call 17. Yeah, I'm going to go for 17. I think there's even like something to consider here. What happens if all of a sudden SPF like ends up changing his like his plea to guilty, takes a plea deal, and just goes after Binance? Because that's the big thing here is like they do have a lot of dirt on some of these other exchanges. And yesterday, Ellison said that SPF was aggressively pushing to get Binance in trouble while he was still running FTX. And it was an intent to thwart the competition, I believe is the verbiage that was used. So like, there's, I think we're still in, in for some chaotic moments. But how do they case, go after Binance? CZ is not American. He's Canadian, right? So you, yeah. like, you can't even go after him. So it is Binance yeah. US though. So, and if they've done any exchanges from FTX to Binance, there's other things in there. Because FTX was technically in the Bahamas, right? But their US entity is what's in trouble here. So there is like a lot of slippery aspects to this that I think the defense is going to be trying to leverage because if there was any sort of fraud committed between Binance and FTX, and obviously I'm not a lawyer, I'm just a dog on the internet. I'm more concerned here about like 
what happens if this just turns into a much bigger mess and the mainstream media continues to run with it as like, this is just proving crypto is rife with fraud, which I think is going to be the angle they take for it, um, which is actually like really interesting because Binance did come out a few days ago and you saw like their Bitcoin reserves slow down a lot because internally they had basically said like, we have to be careful with Bitcoin. It's all on chain and people can track it and it's hyper transparent. So like there's still some things that like even Binance is figuring out. And in this case, though, it's going to be months of just ongoing chaos, I think, before we really get any sort of major resolution. I think we're going to have like a couple smoking guns involved of like people testifying we didn't expect. Like there's, there's going to be some sleeper stuff that the defense has to have up their sleeve or Sammy boys getting 115, no hesitation. What, when will the verdict come on this? Like how long? It's going to be a while. What yeah, a- I would say 60 days at minimum. Oh, that's not a long not time longer. at all. That's not a long time at all. Yeah, but it's like we're already well into the cross-examination. or Well, the testimony of Ellison. We just had the testimony of Gary Wang. We're going to probably get a cross-examination of SPF, which that's like, that's the big day. Like when SPF <laughs> takes the stand, oh that's the big day. My man's going to be up there twitching, craving the Adderall, trying to keep his words straight. It's going to be crazy. That's the day I'm like, oh, this is, I'm going to be super glued to the screen. Oh, dude, I wish they could live stream this because... I would have it on the big screen all day. Like this would be up there just going. He's you know? not, oh man. Yeah, he's not going to shut up when he gets up there. I mean, he can't wait to get up there. And I bet his lawyers advised him not to do it. And then uh, he ended up like probably insisting that they would. Buddy, uh, you've been making a meme out of the five year thing, huh? Like the idea that I think you. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> he's facing a, over a hundred years. <laughs> The thing that his sentence would get cut to five is like that's completely out to lunch take. What's your bet? Whatever, easy. What's the over under? We're still going to do 50, <laughs> 50 years over under. You want to go up to 50? Yeah, there's no shot. It's less than that. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's where I'm, 50 and a half. That's my over. Well, there's, what are you so taking? You're taking the over or the under? Yeah, the over. Well, there's, <laughs> there's your little the bet. Under. We got an over under of 50 years. I actually would probably side with Bunny on this. We'll have to see. Bunny, I popped up and uh, participated on your show last night. Was it an okay performance? Dude, easy. This guy stole the show. First of all, I've never seen him act like this, man. It wasn't like the professional PO that we get in the morning. This guy was wiling that night. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. I don't even break it down. What's he doing? No, I don't even want. I don't even want to say what he said. I was, I was, I was explaining how I could still touch my toes. So I'm super athletic, right? Yep. From yeah, standing position. Yeah, and he told me. To oh, okay. my own all right, dick. all right. I, we, yeah. I don't know about all that, wow. buddy. I don't know about that, buddy. Um, you know, I wanted to go on the show and make sure I could keel, uh, still keep up with the kids out here, you know, and and just keep up on a show like that, even though Bunny's older than me. Anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, today's artist spotlight was actually supposed to be yesterday's artist spotlight, but Machi threw me off at the end of the show yesterday. But hey, we'll just do it twice. It's better. Uh, the artist spotlight is pinned to the top. It's brought to you by Zolt Kosa. So Zoltz, one of one, hold on. The title of the one of one is hold on. Was handpicked by Cosmo de Medici. We know them. uh, To be featured alongside Beeple in Tokyo. 
So if you follow Zolt on Twitter, you can see at Zolt Cosa is the name. The artwork is absolutely incredible. We're honored to be uh, collaborating on an artist spotlight uh, free NFT drop on our platform, the nifty.com. If you don't have an account on the nifty.com, go there. You'll be able to claim this free NFT by Zolt Cosa later on in the show. I will not forget today. Clemente will not let me forget uh, a second day in a row. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get right into this weather report. Signal, please take it away. Uh, Signal, you are muted. Yes. There we go. There we (laughs) go. Let's try again. Second run, Thursday, October the 12th. Market volume coming in at 8.2 million. Blur at 4.7. OpenSea at 2. Onto the market leaders. The pudgy penguins have dipped below 5 ETH. They're down 12% over the last seven days, while the rest of the mid caps are holding steady. Meanwhile, shrapnel operators are up 18%. You've got vessels just back down to 0.17 ETH. They're down 25% in the last seven days. And then you've got Pixelmon and Checks both down around 8%. Over the past 24, 24 hours, while well, we've been talking about Caroline Ellison, obviously former CEO of Alameda Research, testified for a second day against Sam, in which she admitted to three things. Number one, bribing of Chinese officials to the tune of $150 million and throwing some Thai prostitutes in attempts to have their funds unlocked. Secondly, she also testified that SBF's intentions were to have the regulators crack down on Binance as a way to gain market share. And lastly, she testified that selling FTX customers Bitcoin to keep the price below 20K. That is why PO Bitcoin is not at 100K. You can blame it squarely on Caroline. Looking over at Social Five, Star Arenas has recovered 90% of their stolen 3 million after striking a deal with the hacker and have plans to relaunch the platform soon. Meanwhile, on the other side, Frentech oh, has recorded less than 3 million in daily volume for the first time since September the 7th. However, their TBL is still around 43 million, down from its all-time high of 53 million. Over on Solana, Magic Eden has launched a new initiative which allows physical collectibles to be stored and redeemed and sold as NFTs. This is going to kick off with 100 Pokemon cards each sold as individual packs on October the 18th. And then lastly, Legends of Mara game by Yuga has continued just to be disappointing. Uh, the game had to be shut down for two hours yesterday to fix another bug. And the main shattered game version has been down for over two weeks. Vessels are down 25% on the news in the past seven days. That is all for the weather report, folks. It is back to you in the studio. Love to hear our partner uh, Shrapnel having a little bit of price appreciation there. Always love to see a little bit of a flight to quality in the NFT space. That can be a sight for sore sore eyes sometimes. Anyway, the Daily Digest is posted to X every morning. It's pinned up top. You can also subscribe at thenifty.com if you want to receive it via email. Game of Silks a blockchain-based fantasy horse racing company has raised $5 million in its latest seed round. Love to see it. Web3 gaming token big time has been listed on Coinbase. As a result, the token is up 300% in the last 24 hours. Saw a lot of crypto Twitter people saying that they didn't know what this was. Then saw our very own Kicks respond and say, this is a very popular game that we've been playing for over a year. Wake up, crypto Twitter people. Uh, World of Women 
NFTs, their high-end World of Women Monopoly board, which will be available on October 17th. I love it. I love board game-related collectibles. I'm surprised that this is kind of the first time that we've seen something like this from NFT people. Uh, I think chessboard would also be very cool. It's uh, I wonder how much it's going to be. It's probably going to be like 300 bucks. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I don't know if any prices have been released. Uh, last but not least, artist Gabe Weiss former artist, spotlight artist, really cool guy, successful artist in the space. Uh, his collection, The Blame Game, an anti-Stoic collection drop, goes live today at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time, featuring various burning and gamification mechanics. Love to see artists continuing to do cool stuff in the space. The Stoics collection was a very successful collection, if you remember that drop from months back. Uh, anyway, those are your updates from the Daily Digest, posted again here to X. Um, Magic Eden's tokenized Pokemon cards. We're seeing a little bit of um, a trend here from platforms. The success of Courtyard.io, I think a lot of people have probably heard of Courtyard at this point, has spawned uh, some copycats, I suppose. And Magic Eden is uh, deciding that they're going to sell physical collectibles as NFTs. They can be redeemed at any moment. They'll be starting by selling 100 Pokemon cards as packs that can be sold on the secondary and revealed, very similar to Courtyard. Um, Easy, how much of an appetite for this do you think there is from the nft audience what do you make of this uh so yeah we talked a bit about this on my show as well i have some concerns about it to be completely honest mm -hmm. it's a hundred supply at three soul mint so about 60 united states dollars it's gonna get botted immediately like mm. absolutely slammed by bots because of the potential upside of unrevealed packs we saw the courtyard packs go from three to five hundred so almost a clean hundred percent gain it's almost a 2x out the gate so even now if they sell a three and no one reveals any of like the major chase cards right away. I think these could come out closer to the like 10 soul floor, which is about 200 United States dollars. Cause some of the cards do hold, excuse me, a significantly over $200 worth of value. So I do think that like they have to be conscious of that because it's a hundred supply. So really scarce, really limited. And the space has a massive appetite for this, especially for physical redeemables. It's something that's easily relatable. They know that there's a flip opportunity and speculation maintains well after the mint. So that's like the big three things that I look at are like price action of some of the cards, speculation of unrevealed versus revealed, which we've always seen from gamified mechanics of like pre-revealed image assets and to burn to reveal. And then of course, a very limited supply. So a hundred, if 20 get listed, which is usually like my 2010 rule, like 20 short-term top, 10 short-term bottom. Uh, percentage-wise, that's where I think we're going to see some really volatile price action because there's going to be some pretty big swings on it. But I think out the gates, bots are going to absolutely eat on this and put a massive sour taste in the market for a lot of people that actually wanted just the cards. So like for me, that's like my bigger concern here is what's actually going to happen when this mint goes down and bots get 99%, if not 100% of the supply. I wish they'd come out with some way of like a gamified whitelist to give it to actual people. Like even a giveaway for 100 spots of people who like listen into a space of theirs or something so that you know it's real people. I have just some concerns about that because it says it's only public. It's minting in six days, six, six and a half days. And uh, that's where my like major res like reservations are. There's a huge appetite for it though. We're seeing demand for physical collectibles, real world assets right now. We've talked about it briefly too, like the arcade doing the loans for like watches uh, and all these other things. So like real world assets make the most sense right now for NFT tech and tokenizing real world assets, which I think is going to continue to trend towards the upside across the market. So I, I like the innovative approach and we even said it too, was like, 
you don't have to be first to come up with an idea. You just have to be the best at marketing it and delivery, which I have some, some concerns of the actual delivery of this. If they don't, if they don't allow for like an allow list procedure, because bots are going to be the ones who win, which ruins retail. And all that's going to do is basically make people not want to participate in the second go around if they do another. And do we have any uh, like insight as to how many of these drops they plan to do and how often? No. So this is, a, I believe, a trial phase. I reached out to the team to try to get more information. I have like some, but basically they just told me it's going to be a limited drop, a trial run right now. I think if it does well, which I do anticipate it will, then they're going to do more, which is interesting. So the project that they're doing it with, I think it's called uh, Collect Crypto, right? Yeah, Collect Collector yeah. Crypt. They've done drops before. So this isn't Collector Crypt's first drop. It's just the first one that they're in partnership with Magic Eden. They've done sports cards before, um, a whole bunch of other, like, all cards. Every single one is graded cards. So very similar to the Courtyard model, which is on Polygon, but this is a Solana iteration of it. So seeing, I think we're going to see which blockchain really gets people excited about this because there was some pushback on Courtyard 2 for transaction speeds, times, lack of confirmations on chain, people attempting to hit it, which is purely an EVM chain. It's not only Polygon. Same thing would have happened on ETH. You would have gotten into a gas war. Solana, obviously, first in, first out is how the model works. So that's my big concern is like bots will speed run this the second it goes live and ruin the retail aspect of it. I mean, it's interesting to think about uh, in Signal, if you have any any kind of insight on this, you can def or any perspective that you want to share, you totally can. What I think about this is, so I hadn't thought about the bots. However, um, I do think if you're expecting a $200 floor for a $100 you know, mint price, that's going to be very, very interesting to a large audience of people that are trading NFTs on Solana. I've seen celebrations for half-soul wins. And so that's like $9, $10, depending on the price of Soul. I think at the time, Soul was like 18 bucks, And I saw like a pretty decent-sized celebration when somebody uh, you know, won something for a half Soul. So if, if a $9 gain is going to be perceived as a W, and this is going to be a drop of Pokemon card assets that ha definitively have a market outside of NFTs, that's like the big thing that everybody needs to keep in mind, right? Is uh, the thing that I really like about platforms like Courtyard, you know, what I would like about this kind of new feature from Magic Eden is there's almost a little bit of um, a little bit of like a, you know, hands off approach from the platform in the sense that it's like we're giving you the store to buy these things, but we're not actually making the product. Whereas with an NFT, if somebody buys an NFT that turns out to be a scam or a rug pull, there is sort of some kind of onus on the platform that sells it because they allowed it to come into the world and it it basically wouldn't have otherwise existed. Whereas these Pokemon cards, these are vintage Pokemon cards from like the year 2000. You can go on eBay and you can check the liquidity level for each individual card. You can look at all the sales data. I think there's probably analytics websites. I have to imagine. I'm not a big Pokemon card yeah, guy. There but are. There's like full aggregators too that actually take like eBay and StockX and all these other ones that have like these things to show you basically like how frequently do sales happen, how liquid is this card and give you a full breakdown of like price action on it. So there's a ton of them out right now that you can use. And that's the thing is like a lot of people actually use these to figure out like what is the perceived value of a pack yeah. that they're dropping. They yeah. did it for Courtyard because like if you have a card that's worth five grand, like that uh, Mario Pikachu card, it's yep. not hyper liquid, but a sale a week for a $5,000 oh, yeah. asset All day. is really technically liquid in cards. Oh, yeah. Because 
you'll have $40,000 cards that sell once a year. Mm. And even then, people are like, that's worth the risk. The card market's really interesting. They have a, a stronger appetite for risk because their bet is like, all it's going to take is like an official announcement by Nintendo and Mario for this Pikachu card or Pikachu wearing a Mario outfit in a movie. And all of a sudden, that'll draw traction because the IP is so well established. Well, and it's I a kind of pushback on that. J just real quick, Sig, and, and there's a longer uh, history in that market. And also, I just want to shout out uh, well, I actually don't know how to pronounce his username. I know his real name, but I'm not going to dox him. But uh, Rugi, or Rugi, Ruggy, one of our uh, largest Bodagos holders is actually the guy that won the uh, Pikachu Mario. Uh, card and sold it. So shout out to him. And the guy that sold it bought it from him for, I believe, less money than the previous eBay sale. $4,500. The most recent sale was for $5,100. So there you go. So like somebody was smart from the traditional card world that's like, well, th I'm actually getting a deal on this because I'm buying it through, um, I'm kind of going through the window instead of through the front door because not everybody's totally on board with the NFT thing. So I can get a $600 discount. Feels like a no brainer if I'm going to buy the thing anyway. Anyway, Signal, you were saying you were going to push back on some of the insight or the perspective that Easy gave? Yeah, no, I'm just saying that I think uh, in the end, all because Pokemon have such, um, have like this 20 year historical price data, in the end, all prices should become flat. They should, there shouldn't be an arbitrage between the digital side and the, uh, like the physical side of the cards. In the end, those prices should be the same over time. I understand at the beginning where there might be fluctuations because somebody who doesn't have knowledge of, uh, like detailed knowledge of Pokemon cards might not understand what the value of that card is in the short term, but in the long term, because we have this data and because it's easy to look up, all prices should be flat across physical and digital. And it's so easy to um, it's so easy to look up this information that I don't see why, uh, in the end, the digital side of the market would bring extra sort of extra value to the digital card because it is tokenized by the real physical card. So I love like I love what they're doing. I love this idea of that. At the end of the day, you have an independent third party who is vaulting the card. So you don't have to worry that it's, you know, A, it's fake or B, it's not in good condition or it's just a random person. So I like that there's trust in the transaction. But in terms of like price go up or price go down, that should be like that should be flat over the long term. Oh, I wasn't saying that the price will go up as a digital asset. I'm saying that they still speculate on the asset across the board. Traditional card collectors speculate just as hard as NFT collectors. To them, this is a potential flip and long-term hold. And I was saying their risk appetite as purely a card collector can be higher purely off the fact that they feel some level of like potential return down the line. I do agree completely that we're going to see price action stay basically the same. If not, digital cards will be cheaper than physical cards. The transaction in person to get the card immediately versus the aspect of selling it online through a digital chain process and time to withdraw it, receive it in hand, risk of receiving it in hand, lost in mail, a lot of things like that that come into play that are additional steps. I think digital cards will actually trade less value than physical cards. I have a qu question, Easy. How hardcore is the flooring going to be for the people that don't get the chase card? Do you know what I mean? Like if you uh, get insane. like- Insane. Insane. Like we're going to see the bad cards. I honestly think we'll see them sell for like less than a soul. Right. Like, easy, like easy. you'll see it take a 60, 70% drawdown purely because people are playing the gamble. Like that's all it is. They're betting on the fact that they're going to get something that's worth more than $60. And if they don't, 
they're going to be comfortable taking a $40 loss on it in hopes of buying another one or just recognizing the loss and chalking it up to the game and coming back for the next release. Do you think there's there will be any chance for people to buy one of those cards that's getting floored so aggressively on the secondary, redeem it, and sell it on eBay for more money? Yes. Yeah, 100%, especially for the turnaround time. That's a big thing is like if it takes collect crypt to mail this out in seven to 10 days and you to get it in hand, people don't have the patience to wait for that, which is a big part of this where they'll be like, screw this. I'm not going to wait seven to 10 days to get a $20 card. I'll sell it for $5. And you're going to have other people who are like, dude, I, I can throw 20 bucks at this thing. And if I never sell it, I'll throw it in a drawer. Like, dude, I, I have graded cards sitting in a drawer right now that are worth like 100, 200 bucks that I just don't want to sell because I'm just like, I don't want to take pictures. I don't want to deal with mailing it. I don't want to go to the post office, all that other stuff. It happened on Courtyard last week. Like I was on – or not, two weeks. Whenever the reveal was, I was sitting there during the live reveal and I was just literally looking up the cards that were being floored when people saw that they didn't get the card that they wanted. And there was like a $100 to $200 discount on these because people were like, dude, I just want to get rid of this thing. I can't wait. Um, but the problem is that there's so much less of a floored liquidity than like a normal NFT reveal. Because people aren't putting in these bids, there's not like a market trying to figure out the value of like a revealed NFT. It's already like, no, this the price of this thing has been $50 for the last five years. You immediately know what that thing's going to be worth. And it's just a matter of how patient are you in terms of getting that liquidity. Yeah, I mean, by the same – so – I get why you guys are thinking about it that way. At the same time, if you guys remember last week or maybe it was two weeks ago when I posted about the Beeple book, the NFT folks like saw it as an opportunity to sell it. So that's a physical item that they thought you know they'd be able to sell on eBay. And we saw one sale on eBay for 13 bucks with free shipping for a $5 and some change book. And if you've ever done eBay before, you know there's like a 10 to 20% eBay fee. You got to pay for shipping. That person probably lost money on the deal, but they were still game to try. So you really think that they won't have patience if they look up how much a Gyarados Pokemon card is selling for on eBay. And they're like, I can make literally $7 on this. You don't think they're not that they're going to do it? Uh, the physical aspect is a tougher part. That's the thing for me is like, just because right now a lot of these people won't want to share physical location, they won't want to. There's going to be a bunch of things that people complaining about that side for like the redemption aspect of it, and the time to redeem is going to be the big thing. I think like that's where I think we're going to see the biggest pushback is like at this time you're going to have people who are like, dude, I don't want to wait seven to ten days to get this in hand, so I'm going to sell the digital at a much heavier loss. The people book people realized it was like a flash sale on a physical book, and they actually get something that they can throw on a table. You did have a handful of people who are like, you don't understand drop shipping, man. But this is like different than drop shipping. Like, I think what's going to probably happen is you'll have a buyer come in in bulk by like ten to fifteen that they can make five to ten bucks on, and then like get all of them at once. So it's one shipment from collect crypt collect, and now you've made one hundred fifty bucks. That's where I think there's going to be a bigger size is someone coming in with a bigger swing than one card for seven bucks. Dude, if I'm if I'm courtyard, I'm literally open to rebuying those cards back and just putting them in the next pack. Because I'm yeah. the ex I literally know they have an Excel doc of like, hey, this is exactly how much we paid for each card. We know how much it's worth. <laughs> we know how much it's worth. We'll just rebuy it, put it in the next like it's it's genius, kind of from from courtyard if they can figure it out. But it is I'm very curious to see the level of liquidity from Magic Eden doing this because they already are the marketplace. So that the transactions will be easier. 
Anaton Solana versus Courtyard doing the drop and trying to build the marketplace as well, which is trying to do two things at once. I'm really interested. Oh, like no, I'm just saying, I also really like this idea of being very specific on a IP or a collection. So in this case, it's Pokemon. It, like, it could be Rolexes. Like, I have friends who know the watch market inside out. Like, it doesn't really matter what asset it is. It just, there's this opportunity right now that if you know something inside out and, and, and you see these kind of like tokenized uh, IRL drops happening, you haven't you like you have a competitive edge against everybody else that you know what the true value of that asset is versus everybody else who's just flooring things left right and center and don't really understand like the, like the true price or the true value of the certain item so i can definitely see more of this type of stuff coming out whether that is like you know vintage watches like old like jewelry from chanel or like anything it like anything niche and an opportunity to just absolutely dominate that market if you have knowledge in it. So yeah, there are opportunities here. Uh, for me, it won't be Pokemon, but if something comes out that I know about, I would be all over these kind of drops. Well, Signal, you you are right about everything that you're saying. Um, however, the thing is, is it's not. It, no one actually thinks it's about the substance. They think it's about the price, right? So everybody's obsessed with the price. The only way for platforms in our industry to get traction they have to include price in some capacity. There is no platform that has real traction that doesn't have price, right? You think about Frontech. What does Frontech boil down to? Totally novel set of prices, right? This is not the price of an NFT. This is not the, you know, like not the price of Board Ape Yacht Club versus Cool Cats versus something else, right? This is not the price of Solana versus Bitcoin versus Ethereum, right? It's a set of prices that was totally novel. It was the price of Easy's Twitter account versus Machi Big Brother's Twitter account versus the founder of uh, FriendTech's Twitter account. So that's a new set of prices that led to virality. Now, Courtyard has brought in a new set of pr prices, which is a nostalgic play, right? Pokemon cards, everybody knows what Pokemon cards are. But the folks that are buying the drops, many of them, I would think, probably over 70 or 80%, are not, are not people that are buying physical Pokemon cards previously. That's not something that uh, they were doing. And so, um, you know, it's just a new set of prices. It's a novel set of crypto-based prices that led to virality. The nice thing about it is there's actual substance there like Signal's talking about. Even though Signal's not going to be buying the Pokemon cards, there is somebody out there that would buy the Pokemon cards. So that substance is actually what I think could lead to longer-term sustainability, right? Whereas Frentech, I just wrote a long thread this morning uh, since I didn't end up having to go to the courthouse after all. I was like, well, let me write a thread on, on Frentech real quick because the volume's down. There isn't any actual substance there. Like people are saying, oh, so-and-so's token price is undervalued. What the hell does that mean? Like literally, what does that mean? That's a random ass person on Twitter. How could their token price being 0.7 Ethereum, being like 900 US dollars, how is that possibly undervalued? Do you know how much a share of Tesla as a business costs? It ain't 900 bucks, amigo. And so it's just kind of you know funny to me the way people think about this stuff. So look, ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by someone that I'm very excited to introduce. We have the gentleman on the show, uh, he's joining on video, that acquired the Gutter Cat Gang. So we have Noah. What's going on, Noah? How you doing, buddy? Good morning. What's good, everybody? I am beyond excited 
to be here and uh, sharing the story. And I mean, I love your guys' show. I listen to it almost every morning. The energy, the passion, it, it's, it's fun and I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you for joining. I, I improperly introduced you. I see that you are known as the mayor of Gutter City. So that's uh, how I should have introduced you. I see some NFT uh, memorabilia behind you, specifically doodles. I see a Gutter Cat, your iconic Gutter Cat at this point as the person that acquired uh, the organization. I wish Nick was here. Nick is literally in the courtroom with Sam Bagman fried and Caroline Ellison right now. Uh, otherwise, he could be here. And Nick always has great business questions, but we'll do our best to fill the void. I do have a legitimate question here right off the bat, Noah, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way. But I'm curious, why was it you know a little bit touch and go and getting you scheduled for the show today what was going on there uh just i had personal things going on i had a dentist appointment and i had a doctor appointment timing was a little crazy with all of this i'm actually scheduled to have foot surgery next uh is the 19th so i think that's next thursday which uh it's been something i had scheduled for like six months but it, it's just been a little while getting prepared for that and i had a dentist appointment thing so my bad i, I have like three different emails. I'm, I'm figuring out the domain, the new LLC, like lots going on right now. Gotcha, man. All right. A little bit of podiatry getting in the way. Uh, all good though. I mean, look, no, I'm going to lead with a super open-ended question. Why are you doing this? Why are you acquiring gutter cat gang? So that's, that's a great question. And it's an exciting one for me to answer. Uh, I've been in this space for a couple of years. I wouldn't consider myself OG in crypto. I started early 2021 january february i was buying some ethereum buying some bitcoin it went up people were telling me about nfts i actually have one buddy who was in my investment uh group it's just basically a community that i started during covid because everybody was interested in investing back then and he started talking about these nfts and the first one he showed me i, I about fell out of my chair i'm like why would i ever pay a cent for something like this it was two bears that they mate and then they create another bear that was like it's just a pixel two bit like, bears what two bit bears hell yeah and i was like what is going on here so like like with everything that i get excited about i just dive in deep spent 16 hours over a weekend just figuring out digital wallet you know all the typical stuff getting on discord uh, actually, my first mint was a Solana project, and my first and only time I've ever been scammed or clicked a bad link or something was when I was trying to do my first link. Okay. Um, thankfully, it was only for Solana, but Solana was you know it was two hundred some dollars back then, so thousand bucks cleaned out of my account. I wasn't too excited about that, but anyways, it's been a it's been a long uh, road, ups and downs. Like I, I didn't really understand the pace of the crypto. Uh, space and 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 the personalities, the environment that I was getting into. But over the last two years, I've just got more and more excited. I found the gutter boardroom. Uh, I didn't get into gutter until probably about a year ago was when I bought my first gutter asset. And I found my way into the boardroom. And it was amazing how people just wanted to reach out and actually talk, like have a physical conversation with you. And it's very professional people that you know, they were very respectable. And I, I was like, wow, there, there's something here. So I, I, that was my start to gutter. I've been evaluating different opportunities over the last year, networking with people that I find very professional, credible, trustable. And, and it's amazing the people you can meet in this space across the globe. I, we all know this, right? It's just a, a quick DM or a message away from getting in touch with someone special that could change your life. 
so I've been having these conversations and just never found the thing. I'm, I'm very protective of what I spend my time on and, and what I would commit to my name, uh, my success. Like that's everything to me. Um, I'm not looking quick money grabs or any, any of that stuff, right? I want to build sustainable business and, and that's what gets me excited. So I, I was in the gutter community. It's obviously been a very tough road for the last year tough on everybody. It, the sediment has been extremely poor. And I've always tried to be really positive and, and try to see see the good things for what was going on. And I had no idea this was even an opportunity till about a month and a half ago, sent out a tweet saying, hey, I'd be an investor, right? Like, cause right now I'm like, hmm, I can buy more JPEGs or what the heck, you know, these depressed values, I can buy the company or I couldn't get involved with the IP. You know, that was something that I was very interested in uh, being a passive investor or taking an active role. So th then the opportunity came up and uh, it's been a it's been a you can make a documentary over the last month and a half. Well, we have a lot to dive into there. And I know Bunny's probably got questions. Easy's probably got questions. I want to keep it going a little bit here. First of all, on your point of the people that you can meet in this space, I totally agree with you. And I don't know if that's actually fully grasped by many of the people that participate here, because a lot of people, I think, do view it as an avenue for gambling. Whereas, like my experience over the past two and a half years, I think is like yours, meeting incredible people, you know, went from having a day job at a tech company to now, you know, being the co-founder of a business that Tim Draper's son in invested in. So a lot can kind of happen through the connections that you make in this space. Uh, what was your background or what is your background professionally outside of crypto? Yeah, so I'll try to try to keep a you know reasonable amount of time here on this story. But uh, basically SaaS, SaaS software, uh, been in that for you know 15, 16 years now. Um, you know, I, I always knew that I wanted to do something in a sales arena. Just I, I felt like I deserved to get paid more than the guy next to me. And a commission structure was what was very exciting to me uh, based on my efforts, based on what I can bring to the table. Personal accountability is, is, a, is a key motivator for me and a factor in everything that I do. So I got into SaaS uh, software on the financial side and I was, uh, it was always kind of a startup environment. There's so many different tech players in that space that are trying to do something special. And then I found myself in uh, working for one of the largest, most well-named providers that was out there. And a buddy of mine kept on bugging me. He's like, dude, you got to come check out this company. You got to come talk to them. They're like five people. I'm like, I don't know, you know, things are going really well here. I, I don't see why I would do that, but I also didn't see like a real strong future that I wanted or a path that I wanted to pursue at that company. So I, I flew out to is Utah, actually flew out to Utah. I met with them. As soon as I met with the founder, it was game changer. It was like generational talent. I can provide a lot of value here. I learned so much like over the last five years working for this company, taking it from five employees to hundreds to three rounds of funding to eventually selling the company in early January of last year. Um, so I was key executive throughout that process and, and growing it always was working on a lean budget. You know, we bootstrapped this thing until the first round of funding. We really didn't need to take funding when we did. So there's, there's a, a deep story behind that, um, that I would love to go into, but we probably don't have time for it today, but SaaS world is where I come from. And when I jumped into NFTs, I'm like, man, sales, marketing, this is all going to translate. I'm going to be super successful here. No, like it's, I had to reinvent myself you know, figure out how to how to really create a personal brand on socials. And I'm not there yet, right? I'm still working 
through that. And, and it's something that is really exciting to me just to learn the space and, and how to execute. Super interesting. And, and so to break that down, Noah, so it sounds like you were a successful software as a service salesperson working for larger companies. I have friends that are in that field, maybe you know, making three hundred to $600,000 a year if you're successful, maybe towards a million if you're really crushing it. Had an opportunity to join an early stage startup that you were inspired by, came on executive level, like C-level in the organization in a sales role. Is that correct? Yeah, so I, I mean, let's talk about numbers, right? It's kind of fun when you when you actually get the details out there. I made about four hundred fifty thousand in two thousand sixteen. You know, it's very comfortable doing well, kind of controlling CEO of your territory type of thing. And then when I went to this startup in Utah, I I just wanted to be part of the bigger thing because yeah. I saw this as an absolute once in a lifetime opportunity. So I, I took a salary of 140K flat, no yeah. commission. Normal. And I was ready to go. And I took a percentage in the company and that was a negotiating period, but yeah. uh, that's what really paid off. And and you had like an executive role there leading sales for that early stage startup and getting it to the... <laughs> yeah, they had no salespeople when I started. They had five people in support and like the founder was hustling. They actually had one sales guy, didn't work out, they let him go. So I came in as like a VP of sales. Yep. Um, to start and then build up the sales team. And we had a really small budget, right? Our competitors are paying 150 base, 150 commission if you hit your numbers. So 300K, we were paying like 75K. So it was a lot about selling the vision yep. and, and what we can be here. Um, so that was my first couple of years was hustling to, uh, to, to really build that team. And, and obviously I grew significantly from there as being an early person in the company and providing value. Absolutely. And being in a company that early, going through several funding rounds and then an acquisition or IPO, you know, one of the two, regardless, you got a payout, I'm assuming. So, and that happened like in the past couple of years. So flush with cash after that big success was a once in a lifetime opportunity. That's really cool. Um, what about acquiring an NFT project is so interesting, especially since, you know, you see a lot of people leaving the space during this time. You said, I want to go acquire one. Why acquire one versus make one from scratch? And, and let's talk Talk about the vision of an acquisition of an organization like Gutter. I'm all. I always have a little contrarian in me, like just of what's going on in nature. I'm looking for opportunity when other people see chaos. Like I've been a trader, stocks, options for 20 plus years. I started an investment community. Um, I actually am working with several nonprofits to do personal finance and other investing educational sessions, content experiences for Native American youth, boys that are in middle school age. And, and it's just been, it's been super rewarding. And, and I see a lot more opportunity with that, help the youth in their finances. And I've always just been excited when I watch the market and you look at oil and during COVID, it was minus $40 a barrel. You buy at that time and then it's 80, 90, dollars a barrel in a year not right? bad so it's 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 markets right markets move markets change if you believe in crypto you believe in blockchain and you believe that when people are going to make a bunch of money when crypto comes back and they're going to want to flex some cool art and be part of cool communities then why the heck would you not be looking to acquire a company right now I mean, it's interesting. Uh, I want to talk about the vision. I want to see who else has questions. One question I have, though, is about the acquisition. So if we're understanding correctly, and we totally could be wrong, so please correct us if we're wrong. Is it a no cash upfront acquisition? However, there's like a contingency that you have to inject 500K of capital at some point. Like, How did the acquisition kind of go down? 
Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's pretty much what I what I tweeted out. And I, I first and foremost wanted to say thank you to several advisors that helped me put this together. This is my first like personal M&A transaction. Sure. Um, and they're people from my pro professional life. And then there's people from the gutter community. There, there was a couple key people that that helped me with putting together the deal and negotiating it. But yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It, it's it's to infuse capital and it's to acquire the assets of gutter labs. So created new LLC that is a, that has acquired the assets of gutter labs. And now we're going through the post-close deliverables where we're transferring everything over. And I'm the type of person where I have to learn everything. I know that I'm not going to be doing everything day to day, but if someone, you know, they, they can't perform one day or we get a yep. new person and like, I, I know about building teams. And, and if you're a great leader, you really have to know how to manage and operate every facet in the case of certain situations. So right now we're going through that. Um, but yeah, this, this new LLC, I'm, I'm just really excited for it. I mean, the firm terms were I was going to get full control day-to-day -day operations of the company's future. And, and I think this was something the founders, they, they came to the point where it was something they knew they had to do to get the right deal done because they were concerned about the community. They wanted the community to have a great experience going forward. That was important to them. Um, and it worked out. Absolutely. And I want to go to Signal in just a second. One quick question. Uh, when we had uh, Spencer, one of our kind of panelists on the show on earlier this week, he's he's been focused on uh, buying NFTs from acquisitions. He's bought a ton of pudgy penguins. He literally just bought like 100 pudgy penguins or something like that from Three Arrows Capital. So he's he's been in the market for this stuff. He bought a bunch of Oni Force, which is another uh, NFT project that was acquired. He speculated that there was some sort of transfer of legal liability in this deal from the original founders to the new you know acquirer so that would be you is, is there any truth to that well look like when when you acquire the assets it's not acquiring gutter labs like that company will not be part of this right this is a completely new entity so things that happened previously that's that's just the the fact that's what's going to be taking place liabilities are going to be placed on the entity that was uh, was in charge of those assets at that time. Now there are like, so in these agreements, liabilities can be considered different things. Like you have, let's say you have a contract with an artist that you paid a ton of money. They didn't deliver the stuff for whatever reason. There was a second half follow-up payment. Like there's, there's certain liabilities that are just kind of part of operating the business that, you know, those aren't a big deal it all to me. So there are a few things like that, but from a from a full legality standpoint, Gutter Labs is Gutter Labs, Gutter Entertainment going forward is Gutter Entertainment. Okay, and one last thing before I go to Signal then, if that's the case, I, I guess like just thinking about it, what would the incentive be to the Gutter Labs original founders to sell this to you for effectively, you know, no upside you know, from a capital perspective, right? It was zero dollars for you to acquire it. Obviously, you're going to be injecting your own capital. That's part of the deal. Why would they do that if there is any any transfer of liability? Like, couldn't they have gotten some amount of money? I'm sure somebody would have given them at least a hundred thousand dollars. Isn't a hundred thousand dollars better than zero? Well, I offered, <laughs> I offered, uh, I offered some numbers in those ranges, and it, it's more important to them. And I don't want to speak for them, right? Like. This is this is about the gutter come and going forward, but like 
the way the deal came out, what I understood from the founders is, is they still firmly believe in, in this. And, and they were very handcuffed by how the company was set up and, and communication. And like we all saw it, right? There was two AMAs in nine months. You can't operate a company that way. It's just people with different risk tolerances, friends from high school that something blew up that they never really expected. You know, they had 15 people full time with a, you know, over a million dollar annual salary. Like this was a, this was a fully fledged operating company that they put together. And then not many people could have anticipated FTX and the complete collapse and change of this market. And they had many initiatives that they invested in that uh, just couldn't come to light. And then it just spirals, man. It spirals where the community just keeps getting worse and worse and harder and harder on them. So then they really couldn't release or bring things to market. And it was, uh, it was a snowball effect. So they, they will have um, a minority passive stake in the company going forward. It is very small. Um, I'm not going to release exact numbers. Um, I can assure you though, majority, and this is all under my control, but I also, I also think it's, it's not a bad thing, right? These guys have done some, some great things. Like the reason we all love the gutter and we're here is because of them, regardless of how upset we are that they didn't communicate and didn't have AMAs and weren't transparent. Like, they created this, they had the vision. So having them as sort of a, an advisor, someone to call with their contractor relationships and partnerships. I mean, they did a deal with Puma. That is amazing to build off the back of that. So it, it's been, it's only been three days. And, and honestly, I didn't know that I was gonna acquire this thing until about like six days ago. Like the whole negotiation came down to that last minute. So like, that's why you probably don't see me just ripping things out on social <laughs> and got a team member for everything. Like, we're, we're going to get there and we're going to knock it out of the park, but I am very protective of longevity, spending in the right way, and that we do things the right way going forward. Love it. Signal, question for, for Noah? Question for the mayor of Gutter City. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's a relief to hear that the person who has taken over the project, you, uh, has, you know, comes from an operating background of, uh, you know, startup to selling a company. Um, I think that's one of the things that we, we, we keep hearing in the space is that we need more experienced operators behind these companies. You mentioned you've been in the space since 2021. You've seen the wins and the losses, uh, the big project, the big, the big projects fail and some of them win. When you look at Gutter Cat and you want to take it into the future, we've seen some options around gaming, merch, uh, toys, anime. What are you thinking about in terms of uh, Gutter Cat's future as a path to becoming a full-fledged business? Yeah, great question. And uh, you're right. Like I've been in, I, I am in so many communities and I made it a point last summer that when prices fell, initially on some of the big projects that I was going to buy into them, take exposure in the doodles, the moonbirds, the artifacts, the yugas of the world, so that I could be a part of it. You know, Pudgy Penguins has just had an amazing run here and what they're doing is is incredible. I, I'm a fan and I'm watching all these things, right? Like being a part of the community, following the founders that are leading from out front, understanding what they're doing, what's not working. Like that has been things I've been soaking up for the last two years. I've been experimenting a lot with my IP on things. 
And again, like it's, it's, you look at how do you use IP? What's the value? You can't just take a product or, or either digital or physical and just stick the art on there and expect it to sell. Like you really got to create a business behind it first and then you can leverage the art and leverage all of this brand awareness and what's special to the brand, to your fullest and on building. So I believe in IP. I believe in the partnerships and building the brand that way. And I believe in working with the community to help them be part of that more. Uh, I'll give you an example of working with uh, an arcade company. I, I just purchased one for my home and they let you do a custom wrap on it. And I put a whole bunch of gutter stuff. We The gutter uh, team had built a community toolkit with approved language and fonts and colors and art that you can use as a community member to build whatever you'd like to build. So I worked with a gutter artist to make a really dope wrap on this thing and, and they loved it. I told them about the Puma deal, told them about everything else that gutter has been doing. And they're like, we're going to put this right on our website. We're going to write a blog about this. They sell 77 of these things to AWS last month. They did one for um, some of the most famous actors are at gutter or not gutter they're at the uh, comic-con conferences so like they're like one of these mid-tier companies that's really trying to grow great product great service now me as a holder that i get to use the community resources i get to use my art the resources that are here in the gutter already like you can reach out to them and they can build just about anything that you can dream of now they're going to put this on the site so if any one of their everyday customers clicks on it, selects it, that's a licensing engagement, and then there's a payout on that. So there's so many different ways that myself as a community member, where I don't need to start a full business. Like I believe in small businesses, I really do. I have entrepreneurship spirit in me. My wife, their family, they have bar, cafes, whole bunch of stuff throughout the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. And I believe in that small business. I believe like all the people that are part of this community, they could have a small business, whether they just want to create art that's awesome and hit the timeline on it and build their personal brand, or if they want to create a real company or create a real relationship. Like I think there's ways and opportunities that it's not just the, the project that's out here feasting on these partnerships. It's a real true working together as one and bringing everybody together into these, these partnerships and licensing opportunities. But I've never run an IP business, but as a consumer, I know I'm emotionally attached to gutter. Like the gritty, perseverance, uh, the, like there's so many different groups in the gutter. They, they had a dream and they're still building. They still believe in it. They're fighting, they're scrapping, they're, they're networking throughout the community. There's so much going on in the community that, that probably outside of it, people don't know about that they should because I want to bring that to light because it's special and I think other people can follow these types of tracks too. Um, so sp uh, sponsorships, building on the IP, I, I see a, a massive potential there. Many different ways. I could probably talk about that for another 45 minutes to an hour. Well, it's interesting and we probably will dig in a little bit more. Easy, you have a question. Yeah, so I know you mentioned a lot about the IP and some of those key components to it. I, I was just curious, like, what the game plan is, considering there's about 40,000 plus assets across dogs, pigeons, clones, cats, etc. So I'm very curious, like that is a lot of assets to manage, especially coming on. And with the liquidity injection, it's a lot of assets that are essentially under that umbrella too. So I'm very curious, like if you have any intentions, plans, thoughts around that. Definitely. <laughs> I definitely do. I mean, I've been part of the clones. I bought a lot of clones. <laughs> I have, 
I, I, I loved actually cloning my OGs and then doing the free roll juice to create a clone. The art is fantastic. Um, I think the team where they missed a little bit was telling the story of the art and the traits. Like I grew up in the nineties as a kid playing these video games and you see like a Zelda chain on a dog, uh, the super smash bros chain or the ghostbusters gear. Like that stuff is really cool. And that's like, that's stuff I, I want to put on my walls. Like I have made a bunch of the prints and things of that. So like, I don't think the clones have gotten their fair shake of, of the art and what it's about there. Um, however, people bought these under the anticipation that there's going to be some significant utility, right? And, and that's, that's something that we, we need to address relatively quickly. So, you know, the first 30 days, again, getting, getting my feet underneath me, learning everything, and then got some, got some interesting things planned and some experiments, right? Everyone's been talking about a clone burn. I think the previous founders, they had mentioned that there's going to be a burn there is a significant amount of art and uh, code and products that are half-baked. And I have a lot of opportunity to uh, pick up those pieces and build something pretty cool with what they've started. However, it, it's, it's ROI right now. It's gotta be smart. It's gotta be done right. And I think everyone will appreciate that in the community that we're building for longevity and focused on giving them opportunity. But, one of the things I want to do is execute on DNA three. And I want to do this in a meaningful way that experiments a little bit with physical product and licensing. So without going in deeper to that, D three is going to be a pretty exclusive clone. And uh, that's going to be part of something a little bit bigger of an experiment. I'm excited to see how it plays out. It's awesome to hear that there is some consideration on it. Yeah. Very, very eager to see what happens with it. Great perspective. Thanks, Appreciate it. Uh, Bunny, I want to give you the floor if you have a question. I saw you raise your hand earlier. I know you're a fan of Gutter Cat Gang. Bunny, what are you thinking about? I got one question for you, Noah. When gang coin? <laughs> oh, Bunny, I knew you were going to come hot. I don't know you personally, but man, when you, your tweet that you, you sent out, um, the one about the gutter art, that is exactly how I feel. Exactly how I feel. I see this art. I'm like, I got to do something with this. It's right? the top, this I said yesterday on the space, it was the top three PFPR of, of all time. I think it's like Bored Apes, them. I like the Utes a lot too. That's like an unpopular mm -hmm. opinion, but. The Utes, did you say? Yeah, Utes. Yeah, yeah, I like Utes too. I've, I've been a, a D-God holder since like early March of 2022. Um I've definitely been following Frank and, and watching him as he progresses through his collections. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think, and this is, this is the, like a question you guys might want to ask me is why didn't you just do your own thing? Why did you feel it necessary to, to take on a monster like gutter? Well, you can't replicate an OG Ethereum summer of 2021 IP brand project. You can't like, you can't go back in a time machine and create that brand awareness create that historical value. So that art is significant. And I know that, like I listen to you guys talk all the time about how this, this space and, and we're, we're gamblers and like majority, right? Like I have a little bit of that DGen in me too. Nobody wants to buy an asset that goes down instantly, right? When I bought baseball cards back in the nineties, I didn't want to get 
you know, ones that were going to be worth two cents. I wanted the ones that were worth a dollar fifty, and and you know, potentially going to be worth a lot more one day. Obviously, a lot of compliance. There's so many guidelines that are going to be coming out about that. But at the end of the day, these are digital collectibles with a side of utility. I remember Gary Vee said that. Um, this was like like right when uh, D Gods bought the basketball team. Frank and Gary were on a call, and 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 Gary said that. Like I think he was sitting at a lunch meeting even. And I was like, that made a ton of sense to me. That changed my entire perspective on what this is all about, where we're just trying to, you know, airdrop farming, those things. I get it. Totally get it. But building this sustainable business, there needs to be revenue streams. There needs to be business-like decisions. So you can't replicate what happened in 2021. You can't replicate all the drama from the gutter. The, the tweet after tweet that I read that this was my first NFT or I brought in my family members because of gutter, like it's about sports. Like we have a special niche that nobody else has. Um, we're different from all the other projects that are trying to go the IP, the storytelling route, like gutter is different. We've been on ESPN, we've done deals with Puma. We got Seth Greenberg saying gang gang on ESPN. Like that is amazing. and. That's something to build off. You could you could start with raw IP, and I've looked at this, I don't know how many times over the last year, and and I don't know, one out of 10,000, you might hit something that's sort of as good as Gutter. These guys hit it, man. Gutter is is dope, and it's something that you can build off. And and uh, Tim Dillon was talking about Gutter Cat Gang on his podcast. Also, Bunny, the consummate professional, needs to mute. I can't mute him. Um, who made Bunny a co-host? What, what, what is, I can't mute him because he's a co-host. He's over there unmuted with his baby-making noise. Uh, Clemente, you have a question for Noah? Yeah, well, well, first off, Noah, it's been really interesting. And I think with within the new – doing a new mint, you bring in a new layer of speculation of new members of like when, when, when versus like gutter cat gang. A, the market has favored this comeback narrative. I think people love a comeback story. The floor price up. 3x in in October, which is extremely impressive in this market. Um, but I am curious from a team point of view, from a company point of view, in your new LLC, have you hired any new team members? Is it just you right now? I'm curious what that process looks like on your end. And if you've had people reaching out wanting to participate in building out this new business with you. Great question. First of all, I my DMs are obviously uh, full and I am very grateful for everyone that's reached out. Um, I set, I've just set up our new domain, new email addresses. So I'm going to be getting a calendar link out to, to many people that have reached out. Cause I, I want to talk, I want to like, that's what I've been about since day one is, is, is networking with great talent. Like one of the rules as a, a sales manager in SAS is you carve out at least a couple hours every week, not if you're hiring or not just to maintain relationships so that in case something happens, whatever you need to bring on a great person, you have them in your network. So I want to network. I want to talk to as many people as I can. Now, it's not just me. Um, I actually have a pretty significant network outside of Web3, which it's interesting, right? Like these people would never buy NFTs. They, they, they barely understand what crypto or blockchain is. I had this conversation with my dentist for like 25 minutes and I started showing him the gutter art and he's like, send me that one. I love that one. Like, I hope he puts it on there. Like it's his official logo going forward. Um, but yeah, so like, I want to talk to people. Um, we have, uh, we structured the company in an interesting way. Like my experience at my previous startup 
we had a class of shares that we handed out to just about, I think every employee got some level of them. And it creates a different dynamic. It creates someone that's bought into the vision, bought into the business from a long-term standpoint. And that's what, that's what it was for me when I came on. I didn't care about this you know, 140K salary. I cared about this business. So I'm doing things that I normally wouldn't be doing as just a typical sales manager. I'm doing marketing. I'm writing contracts. We didn't have resources for those things. So I'm very comfortable understanding how uh, to execute on a, on a tight budget and a tight team. However, we have structured the company in a way um, that, that can set us up for success and, and we can bring in some great talent that might be interested in that type of uh, engagement. However, I have a general manager that I've worked with for many years. He's like my rock foundation. He's taking care of financials, software, backend, legal, all that type of stuff. Um, and then I have a, uh, a big group of contractors that I'm looking to execute on once I get my feet under me because there are projects and plans that I want to get going on and some of these experiments. But we got to hit the marketing engine, uh, a content distribution pipeline, calendar plan. Our goal is to build an audience and let the world know what gutter is about. You know, unfortunately, the NFT space is, is it's just dwindling right now. That won't always be the case. But any smart business person is going to start to look to where they can grow and thrive. Gutter clubs, I see a huge opportunity there. Huge. We see media getting disrupted across the world. Like one of the most famous ones is Tucker Carlson, right? He left Fox and he's got his own Twitter show and big media scrambling. You see journalists, reporters, they're, they're, they're trying new tactics that they normally wouldn't. And what we're fed as a consumer isn't always <laughs> probably the truth when we could rely on big media in the past because their backs against the wall. Uh, you see Barstool Sports. I think their model is amazing. So Gutter Clubs is where you bring in a director who's super passionate about something. We're experimenting right now with Gutter Fantasy. I have a contact. I uh, actually has a PhD. He's a, a really smart guy, but he's in love with fantasy football. It's literally all he does every day. And he likes to gamble. So he's in all these high stakes leagues. He's studying it year round. He pays 200 bucks for a subscription to this guy or that guy. And he's like, I have better content and things like that. I'm like, huh. Why don't we start clubs with people that have that passion, have that content, give them key KPIs, how many people are engaging, how many people are signing up. Now, the problem is Discord isn't a great platform for people that aren't in this space. So we need to develop a, maybe it's the website, but I, I really want to go mobile app. But clubs I see as a way to grow this data, grow these key KPIs, and that makes our IP more marketable because everything's happening underneath the gutter brand. Uh, so I got a lot of ideas there on how to expand the team in ways that make sense. Uh, but yeah, from a from a foundational uh, standpoint, there there's a couple people that worked at Gutter, still kind of work at Gutter, that are amazing. Like there's some really talented people there, and um, we're ongoing conversations on on how that'll play out going forward. So I know I can't do this on myself. I don't want to do this all by myself. I want to surround myself with great talent and I want to motivate and I want to lead and I want to give them a say and I want to empower them. Well, great perspective. So one quick question. Someone in the comments uh, asked whether this is like your full-time thing right now. I'd imagine so. I'd imagine you don't have any day job. Uh, are there any businesses, other businesses taking your time or is it all about gutter moving forward? 
I, I, I don't have any other businesses. I do have a day job. Um, so the company that acquired our last one, I've, uh, I took a role to stay on with them, but I took a step down just recently from like a leadership or any type of significant role. Um, so there's a lot to talk about there, but this will, I feel very good about it becoming my full, um, my full-time role. But I mean, that doesn't mean I'm not putting in eight to 10 hours a day on this. Like yesterday was 12 hours straight. I was on the phone for 12 hours, 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. Maybe a couple breaks here and there on calls. Like I'm ready to go to work. Gotcha. And when you talk about the business side of gutter, I mean, in the NFT space, there's only actually a few um, entities that have kind of proven that they have any sort of promise uh, when it comes to making a real business. You got Pudgy Penguins now with the toy sales. Um, you look at, say, D-Gods with events. You look at, I, I'd say Canpie Pandas is probably pretty comparable to some of the ideas that you have out there, which is like content, partnerships, um, I mean, which is also similar to us. It would be like us, Canpie Panda, Pandas, Rug Radio. It sounds like you're thinking similar with Gutter Cat Gang. Physical collectibles, it sounds like, are part of your idea. Uh, Yuga Labs is thinking video games, but there is there hasn't been like a revenue path yet. It doesn't seem like with the video games, but obviously... They're in a much different uh, position than most people. How do you think about the floor price of the NFT assets versus the business itself, right? Because I think the people that the people that buy the NFTs, they're singularly focused on the price of the NFTs, obviously, right? They don't care about like the business, right? They care about the price of the NFT that they own. But for the business to exist and survive, there has to actually be a business, right? You can't, like the royalty is not enough to keep anything alive. So how do you kind of think about those two things against each other? Yeah, I really don't want to comment on specific prices or value of the NFTs. That that's that's not for me to determine. But what I can say is if this community is thriving, if people are happy to be here, if people love the content, if people love the physical and you know, the way that we merge that with the digitals. Um, if we're growing audience and gutter clubs of people that don't NF don't hold NFTs, like that just means that there's less, <laughs> less, uh, less supply and more demand. And if it's cool to rep a, a gutter PFP, if you like collecting them, like I, gutter is like one of the best collect. It, it, I, I, I don't know a better collection for collecting NFTs. You got the dogs, you got the rats, the pigeons, the cats, the clones, like building your gang, building your set. So fun ways to execute on your collection digitally um, and, and enhance that collecting experience, I think is cool, right? Like that's something that's exciting to me that I would like to see more than just some badges and a leaderboard, right? Like like we can do some cool stuff with AI art. We can do some, some really neat things that are out there. The AR, VR stuff is starting to become more and more prevalent. My kid spends half his time living in a virtual world on his headset or building in with Roblox and, and these places. So that generation is very comfortable. He's 14. So like, obviously, um, we don't have 14 year olds in this space, but that's what's coming, right? These emerging technologies are going to be more and more important. So delivering those to people in unique ways. And, and at the end of the day, if I'm respected in this space and I'm hustling and I'm out front, and people believe in me and believe in gutter, that's just probably going to be a good thing for your collectibles. 
Yeah, well, look, well put. Uh, thank you for joining the show, Noah. Ladies and gentlemen, Noah, the new mayor of Gutter City, uh, fresh, you know, 72 hours post an acquisition of the Gutter Cat Labs NFTs and the start of a new era, a new business associated with Gutter Cat Gang. Thanks for joining us, Noah. Man, love you guys. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to play hey. a little live from the gutter here to close out. But anyway... Oh. If, you, if it's your first time listening, we do the show Monday through Friday. Oh, I, I almost forgot again, Clemente. I'm going to cut the music for a second. Clemente, go to the nifty.com. I'm not going to forget two days in, in a row. Go to the nifty.com slash claim. Put in the code wisdom to claim today's free NFT, uh, which is done. It's an artist spotlight NFT designed to support the artists in this space. Zolt Kosa, who is being displayed alongside Beeple by Medici Group, Cosmo de Medici in Tokyo right now. Uh, I think it's pretty undeniable how dope this piece of artwork is. So go check it out, the nifty.com slash claim with the code wisdom. Not going to forget, that's the artist spotlight. Give Zolt Kosa a follow, very talented artist in the space. Anyway, if it's your first time listening, ladies and gentlemen, we do this Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern time, right here on Twitter Spaces. We will catch you guys next time. Check out the YouTube too, the video stream. Thanks for listening.